And really for the first 12 months, I failed my accounting subjects three times, which was actually no two. And for the third time got through, and it was a bit of a disaster. There was a lot of money wasted on, you know, subjects that I just didn't didn't understand why I was doing it and also didn't actually apply the time and effort. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community. In the community, you get access to the tools you need to create, grow, and protect your wealth. You'll be able to join our weekly live sessions, and you'll also get access to the risk reduction lessons I've learned from more than 600 guests. Just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. Fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Hugh Grover. Hugh, are you ready to join the mission? Let's go. Let's do it. Let me introduce you to the audience. Hugh is the founder of the digital sales community. He has helped Fortune 100 companies and some of Australia's leading businesses massively turn the dial on revenue. And ladies and gentlemen, who doesn't want that? Prior to this, Hugh was a top 1% revenue generator for a Fortune 100 company for four consecutive years. He also helped grow a retail business by over 36% in only five months and helped a brick-and-mortar business club grow its revenue exponentially in the height of the global pandemic. Hugh has developed a proven sales system over the past decade that his clients are implementing right now in their different businesses. Let Hugh show you how you can apply that system in your business and massively turn the dial on revenue. My God, Hugh, I want it. <laughs> Take a moment and tell us a little bit about what's unique about you and maybe tell us a little bit about your system because, boy, that was sexy. You're making me sound a lot better than I actually am, so thank you. Thank you. That's my job. Yeah. <laughs> So effectively, the business that I run, as you mentioned, the digital sales community, we help business owners. I think according to Forbes, there's 158 sub-industries and we've trained nearly every industry how to generate more sales, whether that be fumigation, whether that be promotion, insurance, financial services, wealth management, some of the most peculiar businesses, even waste management that we've worked with to help them kind of increase more sales. And we really kind of do it one of two ways. We either go in and teach them the process or a system to generate more sales through automation, through virtual assistance, and through systemization. Or secondly, we actually go in, plug into their business and help them generate more leads, have those leads booked into their calendar. And simply a business owner or a salesperson literally wakes up each day and has a conversation with those prospects that are qualified, that are educated about how a business owner or salesperson can help them. And for a lot of people like me, you know, I have a small businesses, you know, maybe medium-sized businesses. We look at something like this and go, oh my God, that's going to be super, super expensive. Mm. How should a small or medium-sized business look at this type of service? Or, or is your service only for large companies? Yeah. So I guess it has to make sense, right? When we sit down with all of the 
the potential clients, really understand what they want to achieve. And, and if this fits in with what they want to achieve, then of course the um, benefit and the result has to outweigh the cost. So usually within the space of a month to two months, they've recouped the cost of their initial outlay. So from that perspective, it makes it a very easy offering to make sense of. But yeah, it has to, with all of our clients and all the advice that we give, unless you're getting that ROI back in return in a short space of time, it may be worth reconsidering. And I'll have a link in the show notes to your digital sales community where people can go and learn more. I just wonder if you could, you know, you've helped a lot of people, you've helped a lot of companies, you've seen a lot of things. What would be one or two things that you would like to share with the audience about what you've learned, you know, that could help us all become better, you know, at sales? I think the the biggest thing is there's probably a, a misconception of what sales used to be and probably to some degree still is which is the Gordon Gecko era, which is the Wolf of Wall Street era, and it's purely sales tactics and strategies over the phone. With what we do with most of our clients now, it's very much around how do you actually create a process through automation, through systemization that brings leads in, warms them up and gets clients itching to have a conversation, but then qualifies them. So a business owner or salesperson isn't wasting the two most precious things that they have being time or energy. And also you don't waste the prospect's time. So for us, it's very much around creating systems that help the client and the prospect. So if you're a business owner out there and you're thinking, you know, you're relying on just word of mouth, which a lot of businesses are doing, or if you're relying on networking, which a lot of business owners are doing, or if you're relying on simply making cold calling, think about are there better ways to be doing things? Is there a way we're in 2022 through outbound messaging, which can all be done through a virtual assistant? And it was interesting. I was working with the largest med tech company in the world only a couple of weeks ago, and they were trying to get a hold of doctors. And think about doctors at the moment, super overwhelmed with post-pandemic, working longer hours than ever beforehand and seriously underappreciated. So do they have time for a sales call from a salesperson? Probably not. Do they have time for an email response? Probably not. But where are these people? They're aged between 35 to 55 years old for the most part. And when they do have off time, they're connecting with their friends and family via platforms like Facebook. So when I suggested to this company that they were going to actually reach out to doctors via Facebook, there was a huge pushback. They were like, this, this isn't what we do. And I said, this is a saying that I teach to all my clients. Whatever everyone else is doing, do the opposite. <laughs> because if you're doing the opposite of what everyone else is doing, you're going to have cutthroat. So in the space of only two months after doing this Facebook messaging, we increased the amount of leads they're receiving by 10 times simply by utilizing other platforms. So one I'd think about to the, the listeners Outbound messaging through LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and cold email, it works, but follow-up is paramount. The other second one is a poster selling one-to-one. Think about how you can sell one-to-many via LinkedIn Lives, one of the most powerful tools to generate leads. And then second of all, through webinar, once you've educated customers, once you've provided value, and my favorite saying is, value is the antidote to skepticism. 
<laughs> so if people are skeptical about you're the best financial advisor or you're the best podcaster, you're the best salesperson, once they hear and they can implement some of their strategies within their business, then suddenly they go, oh, actually, this person's credible. Oh, actually, this person's helped me. So how do you go and sell via webinar or via LinkedIn Live to help more people, educate them, and ask nothing in return but purely provide value, value, value? And then the third one would be very much around automation of processes. So once you've had a conversation with a client, there's a statistic that says 92% of satisfied customers are willing to provide a referral. However, only 11% of salespeople or business owners actually ask for referral. So how do you actually, when the customer is at the top of their arousal level, how do you then ask for a referral in a way that reduces sales pressure, that gets the customer lean in, opposed to push away? So they would be my three main tips around outbound messaging, but through automation, sell one-to-many opposed to one-to-one. And how do you, when you already have a customer that is sold on the value of your offering, how do you get them to refer you more business so you can help more people? That feels like gold there. So I appreciate that for all of us, you know, outbound and one-to-many. And then the referral in particular was, I think, you know, something that I was just thinking about. I make some attempts at it. And I do ask for testimonials, but I think there's more I could do in that area of referrals. And I'm sure for the listeners, that's the case also. And the the really clever one that we work with our clients to do is, is how do you actually get the clients to resell themselves on the value of how much you've helped them? So what you might do is you might actually go and do a testimony with the client. So you do a testimony with the client virtually So that means that over that five minutes or 10 minutes, you're asking, you're doing the referral with them. They're reselling themselves the entire time on the value of how you've helped them, the results they've achieved, and they feel that sense of excitement or happiness or elation that you've helped provide them. Then you're using that video testimony as a piece on your website you're using it as retargeting content for all of your clients. You put it in an EDM to send to your email database. But then after they've resold themselves, they're now an even more custodian of your business. Then you ask for the referral in a way that they actually want to provide because they're already resold on the value. Wow. All right. We're going to drop so the I'm mic. Getting, right. I'm getting too excited. We're I, going to I, drop I, the mic <laughs> right there. I, I, I love those time. ideas, particularly because sometimes people aren't great at leaving video testimonials. That's one of the things I've found. And in particular, if, if you're trying to do a testimonial, if you're in multicultural, multi-country, you, know, you may have students and others that have gone through and clients that may not speak English that perfectly. And so... They may not come across that great or they may be hesitant to do it. But when you have a discussion, I think you can facilitate that a lot better. So that's, that makes I me mean, think. One of the things that I'm trying thinking about to overcome that is that rather than I have testimonials in that, but what I've, I've identified for one of our products, the, the Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp, I've identified that there's four type of students that have come into the bootcamp. So what I've done is now pick out one person who fits in each of those types. And then I'm telling the story of that student, how they found it, the questions that they asked in the beginning, what they went through and the transformation that they got. 
you know, at the end of the boot camp. And so that way it's the hero's journey, it's the student's journey, and I'm the facilitator. But also, I just love it, too, because it's like telling the story and then they got a job right after that. And now they're a successful, you know, analyst or they've got a successful job. And it's pretty fun. And I'm thinking about either doing LinkedIn Live where I talk about, you know, if you're a young graduate from business school and you can't find a job, maybe you need to listen to the story of my particular student, you know, Sue Witt, who came to me and, you know, was having a hard time getting a job straight out of school. And within the fifth week of the boot camp, he had a job offer because awesome. I connected him with a head of research of a company, of, a, of an investment bank, and got him that. And that's part of what's the magic of the boot camp. So I'm just thinking that I'm thinking about doing that on LinkedIn Live. I don't know if I should do that or whether I should do it LinkedIn Live or whether I should just. And do why, it why are you thinking LinkedIn Live? What's the thinking there? Well, like, is that the thinking around, like, why is that the modality opposed to another platform, potentially? I haven't done LinkedIn Live for a little while. Okay. And I kind of felt like LinkedIn seems to favor that content. And right is that where your, is your audience there as well on LinkedIn? Yeah. Let's say okay. I have 30,000 followers on LinkedIn and a lot of young students also following. Yeah. So it may be the place to meet them. I also have YouTube where I could put that that recording on YouTube, I could stream on both, you know, but with YouTube, you know, maybe I'll get 300 to a thousand views on that. Yeah. And they may or may not be that targeted. So I don't really know. Any thoughts? No, I think that the best thing about LinkedIn live as you've obviously experienced beforehand is you get to choose, you get to invite the people who are your target audience. So opposed to just streaming, you know, like a lot of people will streaming, you might get lots of views, but it might not be your right target audience. With this, it's your target audience. So if you've got this great following of 33,000, which by the way, is very impressive. So well done. Thank you. If you've got this really great following, then yeah, the way that I would do it is, is utilize that platform that you have this following on, invite, you know, at a thousand people per week to the event, you'd structure over six weeks. There's 6,000 people that you can potentially invite to your event if you've got a virtual assistant or other people in your team, they can add more people as well. And then, as you said, then use that piece post the session as an evergreen piece of content on YouTube, on your website, emails, as a way of kind of getting that one soundbite of 45 minutes or an hour masterclass to more people. It sounds like what you're telling me also is to do it as, as set it up as an event. Correct. Okay which I never did in the past. I just did streaming. Let's just go live. And then, you know, yeah, so that's a great tip. And that's probably the biggest mistake for you. Go on to LinkedIn after this and you'll see the amount of events that are on. Most people will have like 20 people registered for their event. And then when they actually go live, on average, if you go through them, there's like four people watching it or yep. five people watching it. I ran a LinkedIn live two weeks ago called How to Make millions on the phone. And I think we had, I don't think I know, we had 80 times more people watching it, no, registered than the average LinkedIn Live. And it was like 150 times more people watching it than the average LinkedIn Live. So yeah, you definitely want to schedule it an event uh, for six weeks out so you can promote it, promote it through your podcast, promote it to your database, and obviously to your amazing 33,000 strong LinkedIn audience. Six weeks. Six weeks? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, 
enough about my, my worst investments and mistakes. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to and then tell us your story. So I think for me, it'd be very much around, I grew up in a family where mum was a chief executive of a, a well-known Australian company. Dad was in, in aviation and, and grew up in a, a fairly well-to-do household, went to a private school. And so what everyone was doing at, at school was, you know, you're either going to medicine, which is what my sister ended up doing. You either go into finance, which is what you're in, or you go into law. And so I was naturally someone that was probably more a people's person. You call it communications, you call it psychology. However, I felt this this sense that I need to belong to the herd. And the herd very much in the schooling days was telling me one of those three things, medicine, finance, or law. So I left school in year 12, never a very good student across accounting, economics, and not because I probably wasn't not intelligent enough, but I had no passion. I had no, I had no understand why I was learning or, or how it really applied or why I wanted to apply. So I took a, a university degree at Bond University in Queensland. And really for the first 12 months, I failed my accounting subjects three times, which was actually you no know, two. And for the third time got through. And it was a bit of a disaster. There was a lot of money wasted on, you know, subjects that I just didn't didn't understand why I was doing it and also didn't actually apply the time and effort. So for me, it was really from school, not listening to a gut feel of what intuitively I was good at and what I wanted to do, to university, getting to university and doing what I thought I should do opposed to what I wanted to do. Then to my first serious job working so I had a job in recruitment and then got into a job in finance, but I was doing a job based on optics. I was doing a job based on how I was perceived by others and how I potentially wanted to be perceived myself. And the cost of that over kind of five or six years would have been, would have been very much around a sense of being unfulfilled, a sense of being very unhappy in what I was doing. And I'm a, I'm a naturally optimistic person, so it would never have appeared that way. But it would have been a period of time of just going through, through a job, a career, through university, through schooling, trying to be someone that I thought I need to be opposed to who I actually was. And when was it that you, you know, eventually you broke from that and changed the path that you were on? You may or may not really had much awareness then. Yeah. It could have been that you had awareness then, or it could be later that you really realized that this was, you know, let's say your worst investment ever, as opposed to, let's just think about a typical investment. It's like you get to a point of capitulation where you thought, I, you know, did this because I thought it was going to work and it just hasn't worked, hasn't worked, hasn't worked, hasn't worked. And now I'm on the ground crying because I'm about to lose everything you know, there's a very clear moment, yeah. but can you come up with a moment in time either then or, you know, since then that you could yeah. say you realized that there was a lot of wasted time there? Oh, there was, there was a huge amount of wasted time in the sense that the two most precious commodities for everyone is your time and energy. 
and you can't put a value on time and what that equates to. So for that that six-year period, seven-year period, even a longer extent, how much time was wasted pursuing someone else's goals or ambitions? And do you mean a transition to what kind of maybe the turning point was? Or yeah. So I think, you know, I, I was so fearful of what I was doing. I didn't know why I was doing it, but I kind of just stayed on the hamster wheel. And it was my wife, actually, we just come back from, we got married, went on this seven-week honeymoon in Italy and Greece. And I got back from the honeymoon and Marlo says to me, she goes, I think I want to quit my job. I thought, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> okay, right. We've just had this really amazing wedding, this really amazing honeymoon. And now you decide that now we're married, that you want to quit your job. So I said, hey, darling, in a week's time, if you still feel like you want to quit your job, then absolutely, I think that's what you should do. And I remember the following weekend, it was a Saturday morning, I turned to Marlo in bed. And she gave me this big smile. I thought to myself, shit. I said, you're quitting your job, aren't you? She goes, yeah. <laughs> so Marlo went, quit her job. She was working as a, a project manager for one of the largest media companies in the world at the time, earning, earning really good money, quit her job, got into fashion, into retail business. And really through her going through this self-exploration period of time, then she went and did a number of different careers, a number of different jobs, really made me realize that there were other options out there. The grass was actually potentially greener if you fell in love what you did. And so simply from Marlo being brave enough, I'll call it, to go, you know what, I'm going to go and try and find my purpose and my calling and try a whole bunch of different things, even though society at the age of late 20s, early 30s, probably doesn't think that, I'm going to do what makes me happy. And so simply by Marlo's bravery and her going after what she wanted, that was the catalyst for me making ultimately the change. So how would you describe the lessons that you've learned from this experience? The main lesson would be, and this is something that I really base everything off now, is gut feel. So if something doesn't appear right, opposed to running from it, listen and unpack why your gut feel might be off, whether it's a client that you're potentially about to work with and you go, this doesn't feel right, then maybe question why you're feeling that way. If you're about to invest in you know, a friendship, a relationship, get a really good gut feel. So my biggest takeaway in this day and age is still work unbelievably hard. You have to do that. Yep. Still, there are going to be things that are challenging, but listen to your gut. You know, Humans have been around for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. The reason why we've survived as a species is because we're very intuitive and we make good decisions when we choose to listen to our gut feeling. Great lesson. And I think I'm going to just summarize what I took away, which is, one of the questions I have is like, when do you know that, you know, you're suffering through something for benefit or you're suffering through something for the wrong reason? Like if you just tell someone, let's just say like, yeah, if something's just not fun or, you know, it's not what you're, yeah. you know, you don't need to do it. Well, okay. Yeah. Then you may not learn math, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? and like there's this, there's part of it that you want to think that, you know. I've got to devote myself to some things I don't like because there's benefit to that. But then there's a part of you that says, no, this suffering 
is unnecessary. Do you have any thoughts about how you reconcile that? I think it's a really good question. And I think for me, with the suffering in, in the job, the Fortune 100 company, for me, it was very much at the end of the day, what I wanted to acquire was the ability to sell, to influence and persuade. And once I felt like I had done that and it was congruent and authentic with who I was, and really comes down to human psychology, asking really good questions. Once I had learned that skill set, then I felt comfortable to move on. So I think being really clear with if you are going to continue pursuing it, what are you actually getting out of it? And what are you happy to sacrifice for that thing? Great. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, let's imagine a young person in your situation as you were, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? The biggest thing for me would have been listening to to gut feel and being brave enough to, when something doesn't feel right, question it, look into it, seek unbiased advice and counsel in terms of how to navigate through it. Yeah, I guess when you were saying that, I was thinking in my head, start the discussion. Yeah, 100%. Great advice. So what's a resource that you recommend for our listeners? So this is this is a little bit woo-woo. I sound like a, a young Australian Tim Ferriss for all of half a second. But mine would be listen to your gut feel, listen to your intuition. Over the time, I've read thousands of self-help books. I've read thousands of books on human psychology and human behavior. And they're all they're all great things if you want to become better at sales. But if it's about making better decisions that make you feel happy congruent with who you are as a person, listen to that biological thing that has been helped human survive for thousands of years, which is your gut feel. Great advice. And for the listeners out there, also, you want to think about the difference between emotion and intuition. You know, emotion is an ongoing feeling that we have, but intuition usually is a fleeting moment. So one of the lessons I've learned after interviewing many, many people on this podcast is pay more attention to those intuitions. It's easy to pay attention to emotion because it's something that really can physically like bring us into that moment. But the intuition is something that kind of flashes by us. And so start to pay more attention to that. All right, last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? So I've just found out that my wife is pregnant. We're expecting our first child. Wow. Uh, So for me, it's very much around leaning into being present, being more balanced with what I'm doing and really putting the customers and the clients, my family first. Beautiful. And you better get out there and tell everybody because the whole wide world is going to know when this goes live. (laughs) All right. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of a loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet joined the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. As we conclude, Hugh, I want to thank you for joining our mission. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I think you said it perfectly, mate. We'll leave it there. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate it. That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on.
the upside.